There it is. All right. What's going on, DJ Power Lord? How you doing, man? Oh, everything's good. How's it? How's it going for you? Hey, it's good, man. I, I um I didn't forget what we talked about last time, man. I'm gonna um I'm gonna upload the audio so uh so people will be able to uh to hear it. Well, this time I upload the audio. With the last one, since you you had the mask on, I make sure that I upload the video for them to see that one. Okay, yeah, but definitely don't. <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask. Yeah, no, no, no. I ain't gonna do you like that this time. No, no, no. I already know. I know, but uh, I think the audio on this gonna be genius. So I, I just wanted to make sure that we got yeah. it in. Um, with this interview, man, I, I really wanted to ask you about you know what you did as a promoter. You know how you were able to kind of help promote music in the city, but. Also, then I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about uh, just, you know, the evolution of Atlanta music in general. Okay. Okay. Am I coming to get my screen is going in and out? So I'm asking. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing something going on with the screen. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But, uh, but as long, long as we're getting audio, you're good, though, right? Yeah, yeah. We can get the audio, though. Okay. So what I'll do is I'm, I'm about to start and we'll just uh, we'll pick up where we left off at. All right. All right. DJ Power how you feeling today, man? Feeling lovely, <laughs> absolutely lovely. Anyway, what's going on? Nah, man, I'm feeling good, man. I uh, I got a lot of information. I think a lot of the readers did from your your last uh, interview, man. You talked a lot about a lot of the unsung heroes and and groups, you know, in the early Atlanta scene that don't get talked about a lot. And um, you know, today I wanted you to talk, you know, a little bit more in detail. We talked a lot about your life, um, and it's a part of your life, but I also want to get into the history parts that people don't know so people can get the same education that you gave me when I met you. Um, All right. So I wanted to ask you, you know, when we left off, you were talking about how you and Brian Lasseter teamed up, you know, to be able to, you know, get the Disco Hounds record done. And, uh, you know, from here, I guess I want to ask you, you know, how did you get involved in what we, what we look at as music promotion? And, um, and then the next part of that would be, how did you meet, how did you meet Atlanta hero hitman Sammy Sam? Ooh. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. All right. Uh, promotion. It all started with a lie. I think that's the last thing I said before. It all started with a lie. Um, I was working at a particular pizza delivery restaurant, and a friend of mine who worked there, his, um, his cousin released a record. Uh, in fact, it was uh, a special T get busy record and um, they weren't getting any airplay on. And so he came to me knowing that I'm DJing and I'm DJing around the area and I know people and asked me, hey, can you uh, promote this record? Well, I've never promoted a record in my life. But going back to the early conversation, when opportunity knocks, you better answer the door. <laughs> okay. So I saw it as an opportunity to get it out there, you know, to get out there. So I was like, uh, yeah, I can promote it. Knowing I knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, you know, so I said, yeah, I can promote it. You know, cause I'm like, I'm looking at it. I've been, been around triple crush. I've been around Brian and I've seen everything that they've done. I've run records for Brian. So I, I, I got a good idea that I, I need to somehow cover radio, retail distributors, uh, and record pools, kind of, you know, so me knowing that, I was just like, I think I can get it in some better hands than what they can. 
and get it started. So it all, like I say, it all started with that lie of <laughs> me saying, yeah, I can do it. And that was, uh, little did I know that when I met with the people at the record label, not only did they have this special T record, uh, they like said special T get busy. They had another record by a group called Three Deep. Uh, and I think it was called People Stop and Stare. I think it was the name of that one. But they had two records they wanted me to promote at the same, you know, at the same time. And if anybody out there wants to be an aspiring music promoter, never try to promote two records at the same time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because because literally it, you have a situation that happens where the people that you take it to, they're going to choose one or the other. Okay. They're not going to say, Oh, I'm going to promote, I'm going to promote or play. I'm going to, you know, push whatever these same, these two records, I'm going to pick one. I like the best and, and push that, you know, so you never give them a, never give them an option. You know, that's the best way, but you never give them an option of which one they're going to like, and which one they ain't going to like, you know, because in this particular situation, they like the 3D people stopping stare record more than they like the record that I actually was trying to help my friend with, which was the, uh, the uh, special T record. Okay. So you guys started with the music promotion working on the special T record. Yes. How did that, uh, how did that lead to you working with Hitman Sammy Sam? Like how did you even get to him and what made him decide to, to uh, trust you to help promote one of his records? Good question. If you're looking at it from the aspect of Sammy Sam doing business, but Sam doesn't do business. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sam is strictly talent, strictly talent. So the situation with him was I met Sam back when he, back in the eighties, when he did uh, the this, this song, the Hitman, the first, his very first song. So I met him then. Um, how I honestly don't remember because, you know, but the music scene was so small that you're, you're meeting everybody at concerts or different, you know, at record stores or whatever. And I honestly, I don't remember my initial meeting with Sam, but um, what happened, but I, how I ended up working the record, uh, what's up, what's up, the original what's up, what's up record. What a lot of people don't know that. Let me, I don't know if you ever heard that one. Or not because that's before your time. Fuck that shit. Goddamn that shit. What's up? What's up? Damn. <laughs> okay. How I got on that record was simply uh, by that point, I had my own label. I was doing Boom Boys, Disco Hounds. I, I was doing a lot of stuff by that point. You know, music, uh, like so, stuff on my own label, stuff promoting other people's labels, distributing other people's labels. I was, I was, I was, I was deep off in at that moment. And anyway, I heard. This, I heard the song, and I know Sam doesn't do business. <laughs> okay, so my whole thing was this record is a hit. I need to get this record and try to get it out there. So, just so happened that another artist that I was uh, on my label at the time, Sir Spin, was good friends with DJ Boo, uh, who is Sammy Sam's DJ. So, I'm calling. I'm having Spin call Boo. Boo is Boo uh, is ignoring Spin. <laughs> he's basically ignoring him. Sir, he's ignoring Sir Spin. So I'm like, give me the phone number and I'll call. So he gave me his phone number and I called and I was leaving messages. This is the days of when people didn't have cell phones. Okay, so 
I'm calling his home phone, leaving that on his voice recorder. You know, hey, this is DJ Power Lord, Power Lord Entertainment. I understand y'all got a record. I want to get it, blah, 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 blah. He's thinking this is a joke, <laughs> right? This is uh, DJ Boo. He's thinking it's actually just like, who is this guy calling me? I've never heard of, da, 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 da. So he's thinking it's a joke. And it took the late, great DJ Wynn, who's friends with Boo also, to say, hey, man, you need to talk to this guy. This guy's going to, is, is fixing to do something for you all on this record. So you need to, you need to talk to him. And long story short, try to make it shorter. Eventually, uh, Sam didn't call, but the guy that had the record called named Vincent Dozier. He was the actual guy that put the record out. He called and, uh, everybody called him Dent. He called and he set up a meeting in, in I believe it was John Hope Projects, you know. See, I'm going into the projects, y'all. Yeah, you were going into the projects. Dang, Hope okay. Projects. Dang. Yeah, I ain't like saying it. I was, I was going into the belly of the beast. But anyway, but I went and met with them and I told them, hey, listen, this is what I can do. I like actually, I'm wrong. Actually, I'm wrong. Wow. I went on the fact that Sam had a um, Christmas record. And this is the summer. He already had this Christmas record done um, where he had Santa dressed up in like Gore-Tec boots and all this stuff. And I wanted the Christmas record. I didn't want What's Up, What's Up. I wanted the Christmas record. That's what I wanted. And I met with them about the Christmas record. And while, while I'm meeting with them about that, they handed me the What's Up, What's Up. And wanted me to work that while they got the Christmas record uh, pressed and manufactured and ready to go. So, yeah, that's what happened with that. <laughs> that's what actually happened with that one. But so, Sam was nowhere in the picture. Damn. So, okay. So, this is the What's Up, What's Up record with Sammy. Was this before um, the Hitman record or this was after? This is after the Hitman record. Okay. Sam, Sam got records that people don't even know exist, you know, unless she was in Atlanta. Okay, what's uh the hitman was the first record? He got another one, uh DJ15. I mean, he's got like several records that come up before the, this what's up, what's up record, right? Then the what's up, what's up record comes with the trigger happy posse. The name of that group was actually the trigger happy posse. That one comes um comes where I'm gonna say true. My mind wanna say like 94, but I'm not for sure. But um that record comes, and like I say, I heard it, I wanted it. But being it was already released, I wanted to get on the Christmas record because they hadn't released the Christmas record yet. That's what that's what I wanted, you know. So I, I, I in fact, I ended up getting a deal. Excuse me, I ended up getting a deal uh, from a label in Florida for the Christmas record. <laughs> you know, you know, off a label out of Florida, I ended up getting a deal with it, a, a record deal to press it and distribute it from them, and of course. Um, I mean, you don't release the audio, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Atlanta's known for having plenty of dope boy labels. <laughs> and from the way I understand it, that they left them, they went to the studio, recorded it, blah, blah, blah. It was supposed to be bringing me, bringing, to be bringing me to master tape. And uh, somehow or another, the vehicle that it, that it was in 
got stopped or pulled over or something or another, and it was in there with the work that they were doing. <laughs> oh, man. So all of it got confiscated. You know, so that's how it was explained to me. But that's how I got the What's Up, What's Up record. Honestly, I was going for the Christmas record, and it gave me the What's Up, What's Up record to work. Wow. So now, how I'm going back to, I don't know how I met Sam. I really, that's for me. I really don't remember how I met Sam, but I'm, I'm sure, like I say, it was it was during the '80s, uh, around the Hitman time. But uh, I know the first time I saw him when I got the Deathstruck, uh, uh, the Deathstruck nigga album, <laughs> right, with the handling things on, because that's the next record. Uh, since we didn't need the Christmas record, his aunt Eunice was doing that record. She was uh, putting the money up behind that, and. Um, Somehow or another, I talked, I don't know who I talked to. I don't remember. I really, I honestly don't remember who I talked to. But um, they knew what I had done with the What's Up, What's Up record. They got somehow or another, we got in contact with each other. And they were like, we want to meet you over at some chicken spot at South DeKalb Mall. <laughs> and of course, I'm about my money. I'm about doing what I got to do. So I went over there and I uh and I met him there, uh, and that's how I ended up getting. Uh, we met, had a meeting, and I and that's how I got the uh, Deathstruck nigga uh, and, and uh, handling things record, you know, which was my honestly that was my best seller. So, you know, that's how that came about. But, but going back to how I met Sam, meeting Sam, Sam, <laughs> Sam and his whole posse comes to a record pool meeting. <laughs> I remember that though. They all came to a record pool meeting, and. Um, it was like, whoa, who are these? Literally, it was like, who are these gangsters, thug hoodlums walking up into a record pool meeting where you got all these labels and people trying to be professional and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, you got some cats coming in, you know, looking like they straight out the trap, <laughs> you know. And it was a big commotion. But when people recognized, yo, this is Sam, because at that point, people hadn't seen him in a while, you know. When they realized it was Sam, it, you know, it was like a scramble of everybody wanting to talk to and get at Sammy Sam, but he was, but Sammy Sam was there to see <laughs> DJ Power. See your boy. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I've seen the, uh, I've seen like the, the tapes and some of the covers back when, you know, back for that particular project in general, man, what was, uh, how did, how did working with him increase your status as a promoter at the time? Honestly, increasing my status, I'm gonna it, it legitimized me to the dope boy label. So I'm just gonna call it being honest. That's what it did. Again, it, it legitimized me to the streets. Um the what's up, what's up record. Like I said, I went into like I said, I went into John Hope <laughs> and met with him there. And then uh with the Deathstruck Nigga album, that one. You know, I, I went over in the Kirkwood over there where his, his, his aunt lived and met, and met with them in the backyard, which is funny because we're in the backyard meeting, talking about it, putting it together. And I'm just coming up with the marketing plan while I'm talking to him. OK, I've never even heard this thing. I'm just telling what my marketing for my idea is for the marketing plan on this thing. And of all people comes over to get a barbecue grill was Ice Ski from the group Damage, who did can't get no lore. 
because his mom lived across the street. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. So I, I'm, uh, I didn't say I met him that day, but because uh, I met him while well, I knew it can't get no more. But it was just wild. I'm like, wait a minute, that's how he skate, <laughs> you know. And he over here picking a barrel, you know, a barrel barbecue grill, <laughs> you know, because they were having a cookout that day or something, you know. But anyway, go ahead. So, Power Lord, at this point, you know, when you were promoting and helping him, you know, at the time, he he then signs with, you know, the, one of the biggest indie labels in the city, Big Oomp. What were your thoughts when you saw, uh, what were your thoughts when you saw Big Oomp kind of coming on the scene and, and putting him as, like, their flag staff artist? Like, what was your thoughts when Big Oomp was out at that time and you saw Sammy align with him? Ah. Uh. I don't want to. I don't want to toot my own horn on that one. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Let me say, Deathstruck Nigga, which you probably seen this, and people can look it up. On Deathstruck Nigga, like I said, it, it, when I did that record or took that record from Miss Eunice, as I said, I'm sitting there in the backyard, and I came up with the whole marketing plan of this thing, right? And that's why I'm like, I did the one, you know, the one ad with his real actual mug shot, you know, with fingerprints, you know, the phone numbers to the radio stations. And we took these stickers and we put these stickers all over Atlanta. And when I say all over Atlanta, I'm not talking about we did it in College Park. College Park ain't got, don't really have no projects. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in East Lake Meadows. I'm in Perry Homes. Wow. I'm in, you know, I'm in Hollywood Courts. I'm in every project in the city. Every, you know, everyone that everybody's afraid to go into on a regular because, you know, down by law and, you know, drive-bys and getting robbed and gang, you know, uh, Techwood Homes, uh, Red Oak, Lightning, Bolt Rock. I'm in all them projects. You're in the slums. Because <laughs> I, I know I knew Sam's audience, okay? Sam's audience wasn't the guys that's listening to Atlanta radio. They're not the people that's listening to Atlanta college radio. They're not the people that even hang out in, if you want to say at that time, the um, not the gate, but... Uh, what was that club downtown? The warehouse or any of those industry hip hop spots. That wasn't his, that wasn't Sam's audience. Sam's audience is the streets, <laughs> the traps. Okay, hardcore. So I'm in those spots, putting up let's say putting up stickers, passing out flyers. You know, at the time we're hitting phone booths, dumpsters. You know. Uh, go into the McDonald's and put it on the back of the bathroom door. I'm doing all kinds of stuff, <laughs> okay? In fact, we got stopped by the police one night who thought it was an actual real wanted poster that we put down <laughs> this guy. You know, but anyway, long story short, by be doing all that and creating a noise, and then we got to change it also. Sam, Sam's pr um, project, uh, product material was never really known to be in record stores. OK, and if it was in record stores, you know, it's going to be in the little hood mom and pop store. It's not going to be in your major chain or your bigger third world chains and stuff like that. It's not going to be there. And, be and being that that was the case. And I'm going back to it again. Sam don't do business. He um, Sam would be the type that would go in front of go into the third world 
over over by the penitentiary. In fact, I'm gonna say in particular one <laughs> of the penitentiary. And he'd go in and, and sell the record store, let's say 50 CD, uh, 50 CD, 50 cassettes or whatever, right? 50 pieces of product. And then we'd go sit out in the parking lot <laughs> and sell and where he sold it to the state uh to the store for ten dollars. Then he'll sit it, sit out in the parking lot and sell it for five to anybody that walk up. <laughs> okay. That was what Sam would do. So one of the things that people wanted when I came through, they were like, how we know that Sam is Sam is not going to basically undercut us? And I'm like, Sam's not going to touch a piece of product, period. I didn't do, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, so I set up, a, like I say, Going back to the market plan, I sent out one sheets and promotional flyers. I mean, I had people knowing that this record was coming out, that Death Strike Nigga record coming out, maybe six weeks to two months before we actually took it to the stores. And we and, pe and people were ordering it like hotcakes, <laughs> okay? Marketing. People, you know, and I'm collecting money like a mug, you know what I'm saying? I'm, back then, we, we, we had pagers. And I'm not going to sit in line and tell you I was making a full-time living doing music. I was working at the airport, you know, loading planes, loading and unloading planes. And I'd be out there, and all of a sudden my pager would go off, and I would go in, you know, hit the phone. Yeah, who's this? Oh, this is Third World. Can you bring me 30 CDs and 30 cassettes? Okay, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. No, I need them today. Oh, damn. <laughs> so I'm running between planes <laughs> to, to record stores to get them that product. You know, and I'm actually they giving me cash, uh, you know, suddenly giving me cash on, on on hand. But anyway, from all that work and getting getting uh, uh, I guess credibility with the dope boy labels and everything else, Oomp comes along and he does this record. Uh, like I say, Sam's not signed to me, and he's not even signed to uh, 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 his aunt. He just gave her a record. That's the thing. Sam don't sign nothing. He don't do business. I'm mean, keep going back. He don't do business. So he's free to do whatever he wants to do. Right? So he gets up with Big Oomp. A Big Oomp them see, Big Oomp them see how well this record is doing and who's doing it. And they're like, we need, they already had one artist called Major Bank at the time. And Major Bank wasn't selling nothing. <laughs> okay. MC Assault, DJ Jelly. Uh, I think it was Monte, but I don't quote me on that. But they weren't they weren't selling units not like Sam. <laughs> okay. So they got with Brian, Big Oomph got with Brian Lassiter. And Lassiter was like, you need to talk to Power Lord about it. You know, and when, when I told Oomph, well, you know, in fact, because Lassiter told Oomph, Oomph's looking for me. I run into Oomph out in Marietta at the only black record store in, in Marietta. I run into him out there at Major Turnout. Shout out to BJ. I ran into him out there. And he was like, hey, man, I want to get Sam on the label. And I'm like, he ain't signed. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and I know he's a headache, so I'm like, I'm not even thinking about it, you know, in that in those terms. So I set him up in the industry. with the, I set up Sam up first time in his life being able to do music business, music industry-wise of Atlanta, and Big Oomp comes in, signs them, and I ain't gonna say how, what they signed them for, but you can, if you go, if you go listen to any of, the, of that uh, Last Man Standing album, 
Sam says it dead on the it's on the record. That's all I'm gonna say. He said it on the record, y'all. So anyway, cause Sam don't do business. So anyway, <laughs> that should be my Sam don't do business. But anyway, Big Oof comes, get Sam, they do, they did a sampler, a sampler first, right? I can't think of the name of the sampler. Um I want to say it wasn't Last Man Stand because that's the first full-length album, but there was a sampler that came out before that. Um, but anyway, they did the sampler to test the streets to see how it was going to go. But hell, you just coming off of that Nuff Struck nigga, a hit record in the streets. So of course it does well. So then he gets with, uh, it gets with Oatmeal. They give him better, they did, gave him great 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 music production and the next thing you know we got riding with some killers and sam's Man. off to the races but ultimately like i said going back to it don't want to blow my own horn if power lord had never stepped in the picture there would have never been big oomph records and sam if i hadn't if it hadn't been what i was doing Damn. and i will also say this big oomph is like i even told big oomph this once that was the only record label that I really wanted to work for and never did. Damn. I really wanted to work for them for the simple fact that at the time when they did Sam's album and Intoxicated, the Intoxicated album, Which Away, and uh, I think it was Loco, I'm like, those, I'm like, whoever these cats are doing production, they're head and shoulders above everything else anybody's doing in Atlanta. It was so, I mean, it was so great. I just wanted to be part of the, you know, of, of, the, of the records, man. I just, you know, of the, of, not on the production side, but just part of the company that was helped pushing that. But it never did come to fruition. Damn. Yeah, y'all, Lord, I would have never known that story because I, I always wondered how they got. I knew they knew of each other, but I always wondered how they got together. But the buzz that you helped them create with Deathstruck, and even before that, that's yeah, what kind of led to. Mm -hmm the buzz for the streets. And then that's what made that last man standing album. So successful. Right. Right. Like I say, if I am, I'm, I'm going to say, if I didn't set it up, <laughs> it would have never happened. I said, I set it up for the success, you know, and there's only other one other person that may, may even come close to admitting that. And that ain't going to be nobody in the big oof camp, but jelly and none of them. It's going to be Brian Lasseter. He'll tell you that. <laughs> and now that you've mentioned him, I, I got to ask you, because we ended the interview last, you talked about the three heads in Atlanta, the three-headed tree, where everything descends from, man. Could you get into it into a little bit more detail and talk about how impactful the three heads are? I'm going to swing it back to you, but you, you got to mention it now that you mentioned the three heads that everything descends from in Atlanta. Okay. Ultimately, everything comes from... <sighs> When I say this, I know you're going to write it and people are going to, if they at least are, they going to hear it. This is not in particular order, okay? What I'm saying. So don't get it twisted and say, well, this is how it goes. No. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. But everything can be traced back to Arvis Records, Jarvis Raheem, Brian Lasseter, World Premier Records, and um, Force Groove Records, which was Jerome Clark. Almost every record was uh, either released through them, produced through them, and every artist and producer had something to do coming through them. Those are the three. And none of them 
gets the respect they 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 should they should get. Um, to best be honest with it, uh, like I say, Arvis Arvis Records, they gave us Raheem and Kilo. They gave us D, they gave us DJ Toon. Okay, they gave us uh, Mike Fresh, who was a driving force behind the Luke record hits of the early nineties. Uh, Mike Fresh, uh, Mike Fresh McCray. That's who. That's where that comes from. It's also, like I say, four uh, four screw. They brought us Easy T, to Atlanta's first female uh, rapper that made noise. Like I say, Easy T and her kicking butts, and of course, Mike Fresh and DJ Devastator and all them were over there. Uh, 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 like I said, with Brian Lasseter, hell, <laughs> even though I'm nobody to say it, <laughs> you know, but Brian has two mentors that was moving and shaking stuff in Atlanta. And that was Ian Burke. Everybody knows who the hell Ian Burke is. <laughs> okay. You don't get TLC, Outcast, Organized Noise, none of that Dungeon Family stuff without Ian Burke. You don't get Escape. And, uh, and uh, 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 Arrested Development without Ian Burke. But Ian Burke's mentor is Brian Lasseter. <laughs> you know, just like you come back over on my side and you say, okay, well, they got me. And we say, oh, we're just talking. I gave you Sammy Sam. <laughs> you know, I gave you Sammy Sam. You know, um, Shorty Swing My Way, Mixo. Uh, from Shorty, he learned to produce from Brian. <laughs> okay, you know, a platinum selling producer. So it comes from a Brian Lasseter tree. So everything flow, everything flows through that. Like I just said, you know, uh, 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 Jermaine Dupree, he's the first rap record he sees recorded at a 2560 studio, which goes on to have record, a record catalog that's crazy. You know, discography, all the stuff that was recorded at 2560. It starts with Brian Lasseter bringing a triple crush in there. And Jermaine Dupree sitting there in on a session with uh, <laughs> with uh, uh, MC Style telling him, sit down and shut up in the corner. <laughs> you know? Now, I'm, I'm the only saying that part because I just found out about that the other day myself, and I, I, that cracked me up. But anyway, <laughs> you know, because you know, he was a kid, so, you know, you, you stay out the way, you sit over here on the side, shut up and be quiet. <laughs> you know? Damn. And when Brian told me that story, I was cracking up like I'm like, yep, that's Lamont all day. That's MC style all day long. But anyway, but that's that's basically what it goes down to. Everything flows from, from those three branches. DJ Power Lord, let me ask you, because you know, whenever I when I got on the show, the after says show, and I talked to Jay Presidente, he kind of he kind of left it kind of cryptic, but he talked about how you were promoting. Then you got into journalism and you took a break. How did you get in? How did you how did you switch from promotion to journalism? And I guess let's peel that back. What did journalism look like for you? And uh yeah, just kind of break that down for me. Ooh, okay. You want to you want to begin of that story? <laughs> All right. Everything goes back to who? Brian Lassen. Brian <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. Every, I'm learning. Everything goes back to Brian. Well, let me go before Brian. Let me go before Brian. The source comes out when it finally becomes a national publication. They had a thing called um, regional reports. That's what they called it. Regional reports. And the guy that was doing the regional report for Atlanta was Ian Burke, which is what? 
Brian Lasseter's mentor. He's the mentor. mentor. He's right. You. <laughs> so Ian is doing original reports, right? So with that connection, I guess, between Brian and Ian, a couple of years passed, and all of a sudden, uh, everybody's they start talking about the grandmasters of rap, right? So when you talk about the grandmasters of rap, everybody's going to talk about Grandmaster Flash, yep. Grand, Grandmaster Melly Mel, uh, uh, Grandmaster Cat, right? Then some people may even put in Grandmaster D, ooh wait from Houdini. <laughs> so, right? But Brian wrote an article and sent it to the source saying that before all those people, there's a guy called Grandmaster Flowers that nobody had ever talked about. And all of a sudden, Grandmaster Flowers' name is now the original Grandmaster. It's in the source. It becomes, you know, fact, basically, all because of what Brian wrote. So when Brian did that, people keyed in on the, wait a minute. Who is this guy that just gave us history before anything we knew about? Before, you know what I'm saying? Before recorded, I ain't gonna say recorded, before verbal history, you know, comes around. You know, just like we're in the 50 years of hip hop right now, that, you know, yay, it's a lie. But anyway, <laughs> um, I hate to say it again, because it didn't start at Cool Hurt and Cedric Avenue. That's who's getting the credit, but it wasn't started before them. Okay, it's, you know, in Cedric Avenue. That's just all part of the mythology. <laughs> okay, but anyway, but Brian broke something that nobody knew and he had the, the stuff to prove it. You know, flyers and dates and all this stuff to prove that article. So Brian, basically Brian forms a relationship with the source that they wanted him to do an article on the DOC when the DOC left Dr. Drainum and came to Atlanta. So Brian wrote that article, right? So that, you know, so Brian writes that article. And so now Brian's getting phone calls from everybody, you know, rap sheet, 4,080, you know, rap pages, whoever. People are calling him. Hey, can you cover this? Can you write this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Brian, if you know Brian, you don't take meetings anyway. <laughs> All right. He don't, Brian don't do nothing he don't want to do. That's why a lot of people don't know who he is. Okay. So with Brian, when they called and they said, um, somebody, I think it was 4,080. I'm not for sure, but I'm thinking it's 4,080 or Murder Dog, one of the two. I know it was a Bay Area publication. Called him and said, hey, can you give us, get us an article on MC Bree? And Brian not wanting to, wanting to do, mainly not wanting to do it. <laughs> but wanting to get the money <laughs> 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 says, let me turn you on to my boy power Lord. Oh. He can do it. He's, he's more in that. He, he's more of that generation and he probably knows more about breed than anybody. So next thing I know, I'm getting a call, you know, and this is probably like, like the first time I ain't gonna say first time, but this is when three-way calling was brand new, basically, <laughs> you know, it was brand new. And I get the call and it was, uh, yeah, uh, we want you to go out there and do an article on Breed, on MC Breed. 
And I'm like, I'm not a writer. What the heck y'all calling me for? <laughs> right? And of course, Brian says, dude, I'm not, not dude. Brian is, Doc, I'm hooking you up. I'm hooking you up. Just go do it. Here, take it. He's like, you got a, he's like, you got a, mic, uh, cassette, a, a micro cassette recorder? I'm like, yeah. He's like, take that recorder, get you a point and shoot camera, and go cover. <laughs> he's putting you on. He was putting you on. Right. Once again, opportunity is knocking, but I'm. Better answer. No, but I'm not answering. <laughs> That's not, at that point, I'm not answering. But anybody that knows me knows. Outside of my parents and my and my immediate family, the only people that can get me to actually get up and do something is going to be Brian <laughs> or my boy Big Al. That's pretty, that's pretty much it. Everybody else, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't care. And Brian, you know, Brian was like, man, go out there and do that. He was like, go out there and do it. He's like, you already know people at Ichabon because that's where he was on, and the label Bree was on. You know people at Ichabon, so go ahead and uh, go do that article. And that's where it started. <laughs> Legitimately. Man, Brian is really the plug. <laughs> yes, he is the plug. Yeah. He's, and speaking of how, how good of a plug he is at that moment, I go do the I go do the article on Bree, right? I go interview Bree. I may stand up, stand out at Bree's crib maybe five hours. In that five hours, I got to hear unreleased music with him and Tupac. Uh, Jazzy, Jazzy Faye was working the boards in his basement because his studio was in, the, in his basement. Jazzy Faye's in the, you know, so I'm there with Jazzy Faye working the boards. He's before he's known. Um, bringing it forward, like I said, song, like I said, song with him, uh, Breeding Tupac, Breeding Too Short, Breeding Scarface. I mean, I heard all this, I mean, they had, they got some, they had some songs that never got released. I don't even know what happened to them songs. But they were dope, okay. That may, I'm gonna say, in our conversation that night, I remember Breed saying, because uh, we talked about the uh, you got to get mine, get yours song. We talked about that video, and he was like, "This is like say this is beforehand." He and he says, "Uh." He's like, don't worry about Tupac. He's like, he coming home since he was in prison. He was like, don't worry about Tupac. He coming home soon. Everybody say that, <laughs> right? He knew, uh huh? That's like, it's like he knew, <laughs> right? But I'm like, everybody say that garbage, right? So maybe two weeks. I'm gonna say two weeks to a month later. Kind of, you know, it was a short time span. It was a real short time span. Bree does a concert over at the Gate in Decatur, off of Columbia Avenue, with Jazzy. Tease is now. <laughs> okay, just for people that in it who don't know about the case. Anyway, Bree does a concert at the gate. Me and DJ Wynn go to the concert, right? To the show. And Bree goes, you know, Bree goes, does a show, whatever. He comes off stage and he's walking through the crowd. He sees me and he's like, oh man, what's up? What's up? You know, I love you though. I'm like, We've only really met one time, <laughs> you know, but he remembered me because I've been in this house for five hours. And he's told me stuff that a lot of people don't even know about, not just the music, but just in his personal life. Anyway, um, but to bring it forward, he says to me, he goes, you remember? He goes, remember I told you Pac was coming home? And I was like, yeah. He goes, watch what happens next week. <laughs> 
And next week is when it, he gets out and the whole death row, <laughs> boom. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. I'm like, pray, no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he knew what was going on. That he, you know, he told me, he told me the whole rundown, you know? He told me the whole rundown. So anyway, but going back to uh, uh, Brian as the plug, I mean, that was just one incident of how much influence Brian got that he, that I'm in a situation only because of Brian, that I know what's going to happen. But uh, but for me, from Brian hooking me up with whatever magazine it was out the bay, the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from Ichabon Records. And they're like, hey, there's this magazine out of Seattle, Washington, that's looking for somebody to do a regional report. I put your name in the fact. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so now I get so now I got a regular column. <laughs> okay. I do that I get, you know, so I'm doing that. Next thing I know, I get another, I get another call from, you know, I don't once again, don't quote me in order of people, <laughs> you know, because you're talking about too many years. But I know it was a Seattle man, because the only reason I know that, because because if you see pictures of me from back in the day, you'll see me wearing this hat called Flavor. And everybody thought that was Queen Latifah's thing. Cause you know, cause her magazine on the little show was called magazine. Flavor. Yeah. Right. But this name of this magazine was Flavor out of Seattle, Washington. You know, hmm. so everybody always thought it was her, you know, it was hers or, or you, know, you don't really work for a real magazine. That's some TV stuff. No, I work for Flavor. You know, I got an article in Flavor. But from that Flavor magazine, the next thing I know, I'm getting calls from a, from a, 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 a magazine out of Vancouver. Um, I'm not Vancouver, but, you know, right across the border there in um, Canada. I'm getting a call from them. I'm getting calls from a magazine out of out of Detroit, a magazine uh, out of Houston, a magazine out of New Orleans before Master P blew. In fact, in fact, Master P was Master P was so far off the radar. I remember asking uh, the lady who ran that magazine. I said, "Who?" I said, "Who's the hottest thing going right now?" And she goes, "Oh, we got this. We got this guy named Mystical who's about to blow up. Mystical hadn't even got to jive yet." <laughs> okay. Damn. And she hooked me up with them. <laughs> you know, I think it was like Big Boy Records or something like that. You know, but I started, like I say, but bottom line is from that one plug from Brian, I started writing for every magazine to the to eventually I ended up, like I say, with a column, uh, a, a regional column or whatever in Rap Sheet uh, magazine, which, you know, that's a nationwide publication uh, and lots of, uh, of uh, regional report, uh, regional publications. You know, to the point that made me start my start our own here in Atlanta. I started my own one called the Thunderdome. Damn. So the Thunderdome was a publication you started. Was it was it just covering artists in Atlanta? Um, yes. Even the, you know, because that's who I had easy access to. You know, so so Sam was on the cover. I got Sam on the cover with the uh with the uh 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 Last Man Standing album for Big O. I put uh what was on one of the covers uh Creep Dog out of Florida because he was living in Atlanta by that time so I could I could put Creep Dog on the cover which that gave me big props in my in Miami in the Florida scene and uh um uh they call him Big X now but Spearhead X he was working with Kizzy at the time out in Ichiban you know he got on the cover I got him on the cover of one of them um. So you know it was a short it was short lived. I don't think I maybe did like six six uh six total uh editions of it, but it was the first <laughs> that covered Atlanta that was strictly about I should say about Atlanta, but it was mostly about Atlanta and the South. 
it's the predecessor to ozone and anything else that came after, <laughs> you know, do rolling you out chance, all of it. Do you by chance happen to have an original copy left? Ooh. Yes and no. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. Yes, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I got. I'm. I'm pretty sure I got the one with Creep Dog somewhere in the house. But uh, Vic XL, uh, big uh, Vic XL, big Vic XL, probably has the whole run of them because I had them in a binder and I gave him the binder. You know when he wanted to start hip hop, uh, his thing called Hip Hop Encounter because he patterned Hip Hop Encounter off of the Thunderdome report. So I gave him all those, and I'm sure he still got them. <laughs> you know, where they at? He does not know, but I'm sure he still got. Them. <laughs> Damn. Okay. So I'm looking at I'm looking at how this lines up. You started off well. You at this point you promoted. You helped one of the city's artists get onto an indie label, probably the biggest indie label at the time. Then from there, you know, you took your relationship, you nurtured it. That allowed you then to be able to say, you know what? Now I'm going to start writing about rap nationwide. Yeah. What happens as we start? Because, because you know, we're looking at the time. We're going into the late 90s, early 2000s. Where is Atlanta music at at this point in time? And what are your thoughts on how Atlanta music is changing at this time? The one thing that people don't understand, music changes every five years. Okay. Every, you know, what was popping five years ago, what style, what, whatever was popping five years ago, it's not going, it's, uh, it's not popping today. Okay. That's just the way the system works. So somewhere around, I'm going to say 96, around the Olympics, 96, 97, the bass scene in Atlanta was starting to die. Okay. It was, it was on its downside and the crunk side was starting to come up. Okay. And with that being the case, with the crunk side starting to come up, they're younger guys. And even though I'm not really that much older than the guys that's doing crunk, to them, I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> okay. I'm a dinosaur. So those guys took the music in a different, different direction, you know, um, TCP and Yin Yang, which, uh, they were, in fact, Yin Yang wasn't Yin Yang at the time. They were the two tight click, uh, D Rock and the two tight click, managed by <laughs> DJ Power. Yes. Um, so, if, in fact, D Rock's first album, uh, D Rock for Life, uh, I'm assuming not D Rock, like Inglewood for Life, that was, that was one that I promoted and he was under my management at that moment. And then, D-Rock and a too tight click, which which is becomes uh, it's D-Rock, it's Kane, and it's uh, uh, um, a guy named Big Lee who just passed from the 404 Soldiers. Um, they, they, they became D-Rock and a too tight click, and that was a lot, the last record I worked with Ichiban was that one. And um, I think that was the last one from Ichiban. I'm pretty positive it is. But it was, like I say, but it was a whole different uh sound well i ain't gonna say it was sound but it was it was different like I say tcp the crowd pleasers you know i worked with them when they were down with nine million the nine million family um but at that point they nine million disbanded they became either road managers to dj for outcast 
or the dancers behind Outkast. So, you know, so in fact, that whole that whole line, everybody, everybody that worked on that line has something now. Hate to say it, Power Lord got something to do with all them. Like I say, uh, like I say, Angelo was the road manager, uh, Hype Master Low from Nine Millie, DJ from Nine Millie was Cutmaster Swift. He's the came outcast DJ. Like I said, the dancers TCP behind them. DJ Taz was was the runner. We called him the runner of the litter at the time. He goes out and puts out uh, does Nancy dances for Kilo. Um, like I said, he was under under the tutelage at that time. I ain't gonna say management. He was under the tutelage because, <laughs> like I say, he was running the litter. And uh, 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 like I say, he went on and did his own his thing with uh, That's Right and. Uh, Mel, who sings on that, the singer of Mel on that, she was Corey, you know, she was a choreographer and Cutmaster Swift's girlfriend. So she was, you know, we I called her the mascot, <laughs> you know, but she's going on to be big, do big things. So my hand was in it. My hands are all over the place, and people just don't know. Did that answer the question? Yeah, that answered it. That answered it. And I, I would love for you to say it because you you schooled me on it. I was talking about you know the origins of crunk and who were the creators, and you you shared some interesting light on it. I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind repeating your your belief on who are the originators of crunk. Oh, that's that's TCP, <laughs> hands down. That's the crowd pleasers. They were the, they were the first one to coin the phrase. I bet you won't get crunk. Get crunk. Get it going. Get it going. They were the first one to say we're even though they were ba- they 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 could still consider themselves base. They also said what we're doing is crunk. They were the first ones to say it. They were the first ones to give it a phrase because there's plenty of or of 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 dissecting uh, or converging influences on it. Okay, uh, the bounce or twerk music from New Orleans plays a part in it. Um, the call and response of the of the of the Miami base. You know, somebody say hey. We <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's part of the crunk. You know, that's you know, that's that's something. Then you had, the, as I called them, guys that really didn't have a, t- a, a a genre of music that they called it, right? Like the Hard Boys, CMP, uh, a damn shame. You know, they you know th- they weren't really bass. They weren't really gangster. You know, uh, Mr. Nobody, Mr. Cool. Uh, you know, it was, it was so many of those guys, and that all kind of filters into crunk. Uh, you know, where it was a little bit more hard edge, but not so quite gangster. You know, hard. I'm trying to say the hard boys, ghetto mafia. All I mean, they really didn't have you know a title for what they were doing, and it all kind of morphs into crunk. Um, the organization, Coolie C's group, organization. Uh, all I mean, all those cats and. Pretty much, I work with most, almost all of them <laughs> in some way, form, or fashion. Yeah, Paolo, I, I gotta ask you, you know, man, because I'm I'm listening to the richness of everything you contributed to. What made you step away, man? <laughs> I'm laughing only because it's simple. You can only be broke for so long. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Okay. You know, I'm just going to be honest about it. You can only be broke for so long. You can only be bubbling, if you want to say it, bubbling under, doing magazines, doing the first music video show in Atlanta, 
uh, on the internet, doing, uh, you know, having that first publication, promoting people, putting on concerts, uh, you know, promoting concerts, because I did that too. Um, it's only so much you can do and you're not really getting paid from it. You know, as I've always said, just like a lot of people look at the Southern playlistic sound, I'm gonna use that one as my main example. The Southern playlistic sound that Outkast gets known for. Everybody think they originated when they didn't. That was DJ Wynn, <laughs> okay? DJ Wynn is the father of, of, of that Southern playlistic sound, followed closely by Cool Ace, you know, before Outkast, you know? So, you know, and before, like I say, and, and before Jazzy Faye took the sound, took, took that sound and did more stuff with it. But it all starts with DJ Wynn, but nobody talks about DJ Wynn. Nobody, you know, uh, 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 gives him his credit, you know? But like on the after set, if people come in and I saw, and I mentioned his name, everybody got a DJ Wynn story, you know? Which I was talking to the guys the other day, uh, two days ago, in fact, um, with Atlanta Rap History. And they did an award show a couple of years back, like in 2020. And I'm there. They're honoring Mojo. They're honoring uh, MC Shadi, Mel, and Raheem the Dream, and DJ Taz, right? Every one of them got up there. Every one of them, because I'm, as I say, I'm in the building. So, of course, and when you're in the building, they, they tend to remember you. <laughs> so, I'm in the building. And when I'm in the building and they all see me there, every time, every one of them, when they can't, got up to give their, you know, give their acceptance speech or whatever, all of them had a DJ Power Lord story. Mm. <laughs> okay. Every one of them had a DJ Power Lord story. And the thing about it is, the people that's put on the event was like, well, who is this DJ Power Lord guy? <laughs> We've never heard of him. <laughs> you know, but that's what, that's what happens when you're the line and old guy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not trying to be the star and you're not trying to, you know, put yourself in the center, you know, of everything, you know, you get over, you know, you get overlooked. I mean, I mean, bring it in the real world. Rosa Parks wasn't the first one to sit her butt down on a bus. Correct. Correct. <laughs> okay. Martin Luther King was not the first one to march. That was Vernon Johns coming out the same church in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm. <laughs> okay, but nobody talks about them. These are the guys, these are the people that are the originators. The originators very hardly ever get credit. And when it comes time for them to get the credit, the people that, that do get the credit all want to hog it for themselves and not want to give it to anybody else. That's why when you interview, like I said, you interview me, you hear me always talk about Brian Lassen. You show <laughs> you know love, man. You hear me say, talk about triple crush. And DJ Kev, you'll hear me talk about Ian Burke because I'm not it's not I'm not glorifying me because all those people, all those people are a part of me and are part of the scene. I mean, it's a damn shame that Ian, Ian Burke is, 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 is pretty much the father of Atlanta music when it comes to the current generation, your TLCs, your outcasts, Arrested Developments and blah, 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 you know, all these big names. And it's 30 years later, and they're finally starting to recognize it. Those people are finally opening their, their mouth, organized noise. They're finally opening their mouth and saying, oh, there's Ian. Wait a minute. Ian is the one that signed MC Breed. Come on, man. <laughs> that is your behind. 
You know, right. he's the, Ian is the one that that brought Arrested Development, uh, Arrested Development, and Escape to Jermaine Dupree. Okay, my part, my my one of my co-hosts on the show, uh, uh, Miss Pam Long, and my and my classmate. Uh, high school classmate Latrice Cersei, Latrice Jackson, Latrice Gay, Latrice Hollinsworth, whatever name your last name is now. She <laughs> ain't got so many of them, but Latrice Cersei. This is my classmate in high school, and I say, and then Pam, uh, Pam, okay, Pam alone, Pam Jefferson. It's my co-host on my show. They're the ones that put Escape together on a line. <laughs> you know, they the ones that did a development on Usher, but you don't hear their name said. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's just the way it goes. The people that the people that when they got the mic and, sh- and was able to put on Atlanta, they didn't put on Atlanta. They put on themselves and they put on them their crews. They didn't put on Atlanta. Paulo, let me ask you this then. You mm-hmm. know, looking at all that, what then made you decide to drop or be a part of the creation of the after set show there? Once again, <laughs> whoo, I have to take it back, <laughs> all right. DJ Power Lord has only had one mentor, uh, has only been a mentor to one person, I should say, and in music, in the music business, right? Technically, <laughs> all right, because I ain't talking about, uh, I'm talking about on the business side. I'm not talking about the artist side, uh, you know, or DJ side. And that's Victor Walker, Vic XL or Big Vic XL. Vic uh, used to own a record store here in, 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 in Atlanta, in Riverdale, called Backstage. And I get I, I let I let Vic write for the Thunderdome report, right? I let him write for that, and I might even let him write for the Thunderdome uh, the Thunderdome uh, website, one of the first uh, rap websites for Atlanta. I did a lot of first, <laughs> okay. <laughs> not you know, not trying to toot my own horn, too, too. But anyway, um, but I, I met him and I let him write for those for, for those magazines. I even got his first his first uh, article uh, into or a report into rap uh, rap sheet. You know that was the first. You know so anyway, I I, I, I was putting him I, I put him on in, in the late nineties and. Bringing it forward, he ends up doing the R Nation. I don't know if you remember the R Nation uh, music video show after Arnells went off and before the Oom Kemp came on. There was another music video show for years, mm-hmm. and that's where Vic, uh, Big Vic comes from. He, you know, he was a black guy on that with the white guy who was Rob, a boy Rob. Anyway, Vic ends up once he um, a few years after I I totally get away from music going to WRFG as a co-host of, a, of another show. And he did that show for like 15 years. Okay. Um, so somewhere around 20, the uh, Christmas of 2015, he'd always been asking me, Hey man, come, come down to the show, come down to the show. Come to, I didn't want to have nothing to do with music, man. I really didn't, you know? So I kept putting him off for years, but that's this particular uh, Christmas, I was on vacation the whole month of December, that whole December 2015. And I went down 
to I went down there to the station to hang out with it because I had nothing to do. I wasn't going out of town. I wasn't going to do leaves and stuff in the yard, <laughs> you know. So I'm like, I just go hang out with my boy and see what's going on. So I went every, you know, he had two shows a week on our WRFG 89.3 called uh, Riding Dirty. So I went the whole month of December. So that's what, two, three times a week? That's eight times. <laughs> After the, you know, in fact, I think it was like either Christmas Eve night or Christmas night, his guest didn't show up. So he was just on there, you know, and I just happened to be there because I'm just hanging out. So he wanted to interview me <laughs> all of a sudden. And uh, I did the interview or whatever, or stayed there with him for that night, bringing it forward. January comes, I'm going back to work, <laughs> okay? I'm off vacation. The show comes on at three in the morning. I'm not coming back, but he go, but it, I'll never forget, he called me that, you know, whatever night it was, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, whatever it was, he called me and he says, hey man, Red Money's coming in. DJ Red Money's coming in. I ain't seen Red in years. You know, he's like, DJ Red Money's coming in. Why don't you come in and, and sit in with me on this? All right. I haven't seen Red in a while. I'm going to come, <laughs> you know. So I come. I go down. Red Money don't show up. <laughs> okay. But we have a discussion, a, a very good hip-hop discussion. Another, you know, the next week, uh, the next night or whatever, Vic calls again. Hey, man, let's continue that conversation we had. So now I'm back the second, you know, the first week of January. Next thing I know, I'm there every night that he's on air. <laughs> you know, I'm on every night to the point that I, he's like, uh, 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 I'm sitting in the corner. I was sitting in the corner away from the microphones and everything else. And I would just let whoever he was interviewing or whatever, I might text Vic, ask this question or ask, you know, or, or, you know, dig more on this, on what they just said about this, or, you know, I would do, or I might just yell something out, out, out in the background, you know, something of that nature. And that led to him saying, Hey man, you're now the co-host of the show. Every week I want you to be sitting right there. <laughs> you Damn. Know? Damn. And so I did, <laughs> you know, so that's what, so that's the genesis. And then with, with, with that being the genesis of, of, of me being there, Vic asked me one night, he goes, Hey man, why don't you uh, start your own segment? We're going to call it the OG moment. And I'm like, what's, I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you know, in this segment, just, bring, you know, just find a, you know, a, a bio or a record from somebody that nobody ever talks about in Atlanta, hip hop history, you know, and start, and start telling that story. So I said, okay, cool. <laughs> Cause everybody knows I love history. So I kind of, you know, so basically what I did was I started doing uh, the OG moment every, you know, two nights a week and people started calling in, you know, calling in and asking and saying, and saying, as I call it, stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, Cause you know, cause they'll be like, how do we know that these stories that you're telling us are true or these people really exist and this, that, and the other. And I'm personally, I'm personally getting offended by this stuff. Right. Cause I'm like, wait a minute. If I come in here every week or two nights a week and I tell you the name of the artist or the group 
the name of the record, what year it comes out. I'm giving you all the information that you can just Google this yourself and see that I'm not lying. Now, true enough, I might be giving you some personal stories that you don't know about, but you know, you're questioning me. Would you question Grandmaster Flash if he started telling you a damn story? <laughs> you know, That's real shit. That's real you know, shit. no, you wouldn't because you know, like, well, we know he was there. I'm one of the founding fathers of this thing. Yeah, I might not be known, but there's no reason to question what I'm saying if I'm giving you the information and playing you the, and I actually play you the record or the song that these people did. You know what I'm saying? It's up to you to do the work, and you know, and of course that 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 you know, bringing it back to your main part of that question. When Vic went off the air in 20, at the end of 2016, I wanted to continue telling the story. I, was telling, I, as I, called, I wanted to continue to change the narrative because at that point, for the masses, Atlanta hip hop started with Outkast. Okay, it started, not to saying that when I, had, I get it, when I would get with people and tell them, you know, like, I need y'all to think critically, <laughs> okay? That's my thing. Think critically. If hip hop starts with Outkast, where did Criss Cross come from? Who's before Outkast? Where does where does uh, Arrested Development come before Outkast? Where does Tag Team Whoop There It Is, the biggest record in the country, come from before Outkast? Where does Deuce and Daisy Dukes come from? You know, I'm like all this stuff is before Outkast. So if there's just all these records that you all do know, think about all the stuff you don't know that nobody talks about that goes back into the 80s all the way back to 1982 in Mojo. So that's the genesis of Atchison. So when when Ryan Dirty goes off, I go and start taking a broadcasting class. Uh, Me and and Jay Perez, we take the broadcasting class at RFG. We do our... I don't know what you call it. I interning and paying our dues for a year. You know, like I say, good. Ryan Dirty goes off at the end of 2016. We do pay all our dues all of 2017, half of 2018. And then October of 2018, they gave me my own show, the after set, and we've been running ever since. So you guys will be coming up on five years at the end of this year. We're going to be starting our sixth year. Wow. We're going to be starting our sixth year. You know, and the thing about my show that I that I should say I love. I I guess I could say I love. I love exposing people to music that they don't even know existed or they may have forgotten. Because though, you know, as I said before, music changes every five years. Okay. So quite literally, if you weren't little John <laughs> in the year 2000 right, to where you have a reputation that took you all the way to 2023, you don't remember him. You don't, you don't remember, uh, uh, what's my man? Uh, see, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. I just played the record the other day. Uh, 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 don't worry about it. <laughs> I lost my thought. It's, but, it, uh, but the guy did uh, uh, Pippin' Up with my Cadillac. You know, you ain't going to remember that. You ain't going to remember Mr. Coup. You know, guys that had marginal hits in the city, you're not going to remember all those people, 
you know, but I love being able to bring those records out, you know, and like, boom, check this out, <laughs> you know. So that's what the show is basically about. DJ Powerlaw, you know, one of the things that was great about the interviews that you've done is just giving the credit to the people that built it, that maintained it, that don't get that attention. So I guess as a as a, a lasting thought or final thought, what do you want people to get from the information that you presented here and just what you do with the after the after set show? Like what do you want to to sit with people when they actually listen to this and read it? I want them to understand that the history that you've been taught or have been told that builds, you know, that has been told year after year after year after year, it's not accurate. It's not true. And you've got, you've got to stop and say, who benefits from telling this story? You know? And everybody wants to be the first, everybody wants to be the first to do everything. Nobody wants to be the second. Okay. But the people that you think was the first, nine times out of 10, aren't the first. <laughs> okay. And there's a history that goes before this. You know, it took a, it took a long time for me to get people to start thinking about MC Shy, I'm not, sorry, not MC Shy, excuse me, uh, Mojo, the Electrifying Mojo. But it took us to get him back on the scene, get him on Facebook, get him into the world to why now people are celebrating him. It took us, you know, it took a while, you know, same way with, like I say, Shadi. Everybody remembers Shadi, but he's not getting, he's definitely not getting the love and, and the respect that he deserves in this city. You know, I have no problem with you putting a mural to Outkast, but how can you not put a mural to Shadi? You know, how can you not do something? You gave Raheem the dream, a Raheem the dream day that nobody really knew about, no disrespect to Raheem. But Raheem fought in these trenches for years doing this thing. You know what I'm saying? Without any glorification. So that's my whole thing is when y'all start hearing people talk about, well, I put on Atlanta or there was no music scene in Atlanta before I got here or I'd, I started this, that, and the other. Nine times out of 10, they're trying to glorify themselves. And that's where I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to glorify Power Lord. I'm trying to glorify Atlanta's music scene. Tell the truth about it you know, the positives and the negatives. Tell, you know, tell them, you know, that's really the positives and the negative. I will tell the positive side. I will tell the negative side. I will tell you about who actually held the scene back, okay, from developing the way it should have, you know. Just, that's that's basically it. I could I go and rant all day. 